Hi, my name is Hannah Cha, and I'm a chef in Portland and the author of The Vegan Chinese Kitchen. I really love riding bikes. I used to have this beautiful Fuji Fixie that I would commute with. I called that bike G, and then I called my road bike Dale because it was a cannondale. I really love those bikes, and then they got stolen. So I stopped naming my bikes. Just because I, I, I don't know. I don't want to get too attached to them now. <laughs> I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a podcast that turns to highly skilled chefs and dedicated home cooks with a big question in mind. What is their one? That recipe they keep in their back pocket and make for everyone they love. This week, we're rolling up our sleeves with Hannah Chu. Hannah's a Portland-based cook, writer, and the author of The Vegan Chinese Kitchen, which has been named a New York Times Best Cookbook of 2022. Although she was born and raised in Detroit, Hannah has spent years traveling through China and Taiwan, training as a chef at the Guangzhou Vegetarian Culinary School. In all of her work, she focuses on distilling all of the information she's gleaned into approachable but deeply informative lessons we can all learn something from. I'll let her explain. Hannah, hello. It's great to have you. Hi, Jesse. It's great to be here. So although you are based in the Pacific Northwest right now, you've spent years traveling, attending culinary school, and just learning all about becoming a chef. When did you know you wanted to pursue cooking and writing professionally? I don't think I ever made the conscious decision to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I just kind of followed opportunities and it I guess this is my life now, but I actually went to school for piano performance. So like basically wow. the first 22 years of my life was dedicated to music. And I started food blogging initially. And then when I was thinking about writing this book, I decided I should go to culinary school in China. And that was really my first foray into professional cooking. And I kind of just fell in love with it, with the energy of like working in a professional kitchen. And when I came back from Asia, I decided to just keep doing it. And so that's kind of what I've been doing in Portland. You actually went to a culinary school that was really focused on cooking vegetarian meals. Was that kind of where your interest in vegetarian and vegan cooking started? Or were you interested before that as well? I started cooking vegan well, when I became vegan, <laughs> which was <laughs> a little, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's good motivation. But that was a little over, it was almost eight years ago, actually, when I was in college. And at that time, the food that I was cooking was really just a lot of salads and smoothies and just like the stuff that I was seeing on like food blogs and like I still, I love that kind of food. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but I felt like I was really missing. <laughs> my parents cooking and Chinese cooking. And I think a lot of the food you go out to eat or you eat at restaurants tends to be more meat heavy. And I was really fascinated just by Chinese home cooking because that's the kind of food I grew up eating where so many things, so many dishes are just centered around vegetables and you have your rice and all these dishes are so tasty that when I was growing up, I never had that kind of aversion to vegetables that some of my peers did. I, I just thought they were the most delicious things that you could eat because of the way my mom prepared them. There's something that you kind of nodded to that I want to explore a little bit more. So you've talked about the difference between home cooking, but then also professional cooking. 
Was there a figure or a mentor or someone who helped you kind of really internalize the knowledge that professional cooking is attainable? Yeah, so that's what going to that culinary school really did for me. It was situated at this really interesting intersection in China right now between restaurants and this wave of more people interested in plant-based eating just because of Mm -hmm. more Western-influenced media or even, I think, just people's perception of like the animal agriculture industry. And so a lot of people are interested in eating more plant-based in China. And so all these restaurants were popping up that kind of stemmed from these traditions of Buddhism and Taoism in China, where people were eating for like thousands of years um, in a vegetarian way and in palaces and in temples. So this culinary school really was training chefs to know about the philosophy and the history behind Buddhist vegetarianism, but then also thinking of it in more creative, inventive ways and more modern presentation and training people to be cooks in restaurants and to start kind of their own food businesses as well. So it was really cool mix of like both that very traditional style of cooking and also just like a lot of more inventive ways to use these same traditional ingredients. Oh my gosh, I love that. Both philosophically, but also spiritually and emotionally too. I feel like those are such important components that sometimes we forget about in what we're cooking. Mm -hmm. Okay, I would love to talk to you about philosophy all day, but you're here to talk about your one recipe. So my one recipe is, it's called shousibaocai in Chinese, or hand-torn cabbage, like literally hand-ripped cabbage, you could say. And I think this recipe just kind of shows how easy it is to make a vegetable taste good when you're thinking of it kind of in a different way. And so what you have are just three components. You have the cabbage. I think it's like 12 ounces of cabbage and you want the leaves and you can use green cabbage. You can use Taiwanese cabbage, which is like a, it's a flatter head and the leaves are slightly sweeter and more tender, which I prefer. And then you have the seasoning, which is a mix of like soy sauce, black vinegar, Shaoxing wine. And then you have the aromatics, which are ginger, garlic, some Sichuan peppercorns and some dried red chilies. Ooh, okay, you're speaking my language. I love these aromatics. So first, can you tell me a little bit about the hand-tearing portion of this recipe? What should people kind of expect and what are the results we're looking for here? My mom always, like, whenever she would prep vegetables, a lot of times she wouldn't cut them. And I don't know if it's because... I I actually don't know if it's like (laughs) it's true or not, but (laughs) she said, and a lot of the chefs I worked with said that the cabbage just tastes better. When you tear it and you don't cut it, you just kind of tear it with your fingers into about like two inch pieces. I think it also looks more rustic. And I don't know if I believe that it tastes better, but I don't know. I kind of (laughs) do. Also, you don't need to wash a cutting board or a knife. You just take your cabbage and just tear it up. (laughs) Okay, so now that we've torn our cabbage, what's next in the cooking process? So for a Chinese stir fry... You start with a wok or your saute pan and you want to heat it up dry until it's basically the test is to kind of flick a bead of water onto it. And if it evaporates within like one or two seconds, that means it's hot enough. And then you swirl in or you add in some vegetable oil 
swirl it around to coat the bottom or the sides. And then at this point, the aromatics go in and you kind of want to turn the heat down to medium so they don't burn, but you want them to just release their fragrance. They're like sizzling in the pan. You start to smell everything. And the ginger goes first, then the peppercorns. You want to add the chilies and then wait until they start to darken, but obviously you don't want to burn them. And then you add in the garlic at the last like 10 seconds. And then after all those aromatics go in, you crank up the heat pretty much like as high as your stove will go, (laughs) as the burner will go, especially (laughs) if you're cooking with like carbon steel. So is carbon steel kind of what you prefer to cook with? Yeah, so my wok is a carbon steel wok and it generates that wok hay aroma, like the breath of the wok, Mm -hmm. um, which is also part of the magic of Chinese vegetable stir fries. So what does wok hay taste like? I think it's less of a taste and more of aroma. It's kind of like the smoky, seared aroma. It's hard to describe, but it's definitely created with the high heat and the contact with the carbon steel. Yeah. So it's kind of like you can almost see it. Like it's kind of like a steam that comes up out of the wok when you add in um, like slightly wetter ingredients or the seasoning. But it's just like this really fragrant smokiness I'd describe it as. Can we go back to this sauce a little bit more? Can you tell me a little bit about the flavor profile and what you have come to really look for from this sauce? It's very savory because of the soy sauce and the MSG in there. I don't add water to the sauce. I tend to go with Shaoxing wine. It evaporates more quickly in the wok. And so you get less Mm -hmm. of that tendency to steam the cabbage because you want more of like that searing hot surface. And then a little bit of sugar and a little bit of vinegar just to provide a little more depth to that saltiness. So you have a little sweetness and then a little like of that vinegary brightness. So once you have all of your aromatics in, you have your cabbage and it's ripping and roaring and ready to go, what are the signs that the cabbage is ready to be taken out? How do we make sure that we're not getting into the wilty, weepy, kind of sad looking cabbage that some people may know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you add the cabbage, it's just about 30 seconds, basically, until um, they're kind of coated in that really fragrant oil and then they start to soften. And then at this point, you pour the seasoning mix, the sauce mix. Once the sauce goes in, if the wok is hot enough, then it actually won't really pool at the bottom. It kind of like sizzles along the sides as you're pouring it in. And then you toss it with the cabbage for just about another like 30 seconds. And you want the cabbage to be still crisp. When you see it start to sear a little bit on the edges, but it's still crisp, then it's basically done. And you take it off the heat. And you want to serve it pretty much as soon as it's finished because all those like aromas really are the most pronounced when the dish is piping hot and you eat it with rice, which, or I eat it with rice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that sounds perfect. And for people looking for a visual cue, typically it's going to start taking in some of that sauce on the edges of, of the torn cabbage, right? So that's another kind of cue for people when they see the sauce starting to seep in, but not fully changing the entire color of the cabbage or anything like that. Exactly. And I love this recipe because you can do so many variations on it with different vegetables. So a lot of times I'll take broccoli, for instance, blanch it really quickly because broccoli obviously Mm -hmm. takes longer to cook than cabbage. But then once you blanch the broccoli, you basically do the same thing. You follow the same steps, use the same aromatics and seasonings. Um, you can also do this with Napa cabbage. You can do it with gailan, choy sum, like all of those really tender, delicious Chinese greens. There's also variation where you 
take potatoes, like julienne potatoes, and you also blanch them and then stir fry them in the same way. So it's basically like a template, I say, for a lot of Chinese stir fries, and it's very versatile in that way. Ooh, I love a recipe that's also a technique. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me. This has been so much fun. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, this is a pleasure. I could talk cabbage and walk cooking all day. <laughs> Hannah Cha is the author of The Vegan Chinese Kitchen. You can find her recipe for hand-torn cabbage on Instagram at d.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Alex Simpson, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic.